This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hi, Ep. So this week we have a bit of an income focus on the podcast for you as the massive dividend cuts has hit lots of investors quite hard. So we'll be looking at the latest figures on how many dividends have been cut and we'll be speaking to an income fund manager about how they're navigating the dividend drought. And we've also got an interesting new fund launch to talk about and a very quick update on the latest inflation figures. So firstly, Dan, do you want to tell us what's happening in markets? So yeah, we actually had quite a good session for the markets around the world off the back of some news from a sort of pharmaceutical company called Moderna. Um, Now it's creating this treatment that could potentially be used to treat coronavirus. Now it's showing some promise in a small early stage trial. Now whilst its share price uh, saw a big rally as well, that sort of created this sort of um, a renewed sense of optimism amongst investors around the world. Um, and that sort of just fueled equity prices um, across the globe. So we had this we had this very, very strong session. But very soon afterwards, um, a report came out from a group of scientists who were actually questioning some of the information. So markets sort of took a step back. And I, I think this is perhaps indicative of what we've seen quite a bit recently, where investors sort of latching on to any sort of potential positive news. Um, and they're just there's always something that trips it up um, it just can't quite sort of sustain that um, that sort of big ongoing rally that we saw in April. So May is proving to be um, a bit more tricky for, for markets. But, um, you know, overall, actually, you know, biotech sort of pharmaceutical area of the market has actually been one of the good places that investors could have had their money this year. Now, I, I was having a look at some of the companies on the London market specifically because Moderna is listed elsewhere but um, on, on the London market um, there's quite a lot of stocks where you could have made some really big money so there's, there's a really small business called Gene Drive um, and you know, just a couple of months ago if you put a thousand pounds into the shares they you know less than two months later they're worth 18,000 pounds you know that's it's an indication of um, just how fast some of these companies that are trying to create treatments for coronavirus or um, helping to do the testing side of things, uh, they'll be going crazy. So there's, there's quite a few stocks that achieved 200% plus gains this year. So if you, if you, I, I always use this stat when I'm talking about the stock market, trying to put things in context. Historically, you should expect, say, 6 or 7% from the stock market. That's, that's what we've seen um, averaged out over many many years so 200% gain in you know in in less than five months is is unprecedented really but I guess the the downside not to be the negative Nelly here but the downside to this is that quite a lot of this is quite speculative stuff they might not end up coming up with a kind of solution or a test or anything to do with coronavirus and could see that share price go down equally as fast right absolutely this is this is so biotech is probably one of the most high risk areas of the stock market, full stop. Now, yeah, you're right saying that these things don't always work. These companies are plowing through cash, trying to do tests and stuff. And um, they've got to go through so many hurdles, clear hurdles to try and get things approved by the regulators. It it, it is a place where 
if you pick a winner, you might enjoy a really strong return as we just I've just been talking about. But actually, you know, the, the percentage of, of losers is, is very high. Um, and this is definitely not somewhere you should park your money if, if you're um, worried about um you know what might happen to your to your your cash if you've invested and and you you know, suddenly seeing a loss will that trouble you this is this is not the place to be to be looking but really i think it's you know what we're seeing at the moment is any company that comes out and it talks about coronavirus or covid in their announcements and uh, making progress towards doing whatever it's trying to do to help um the, the fight against the virus it's just that that's creating this buzz amongst certain type of investor um who is happy and who is you know understands the risks involved for putting money into it but i'm saying yeah that there is no guarantee for its success okay so uh, laura you were, in the introduction you were telling us about this uh, a new fund that's being launched now that's um i'm sure that that's piqued the attention of quite a lot of our listeners to give us some more information who, who is launching this new fund so it's it's a weird one. It's a fund launch that hasn't really launched. So it's a bit of an odd one. So Lindsay Train, uh, which everyone will know from Nick Train, um, who's one of the more kind of prominent managers out there, um, they've launched a new fund focused on America. So it's called the Lindsay Train North American Equity Fund. Um, and normally, Dan, you know as well as I do that when a, a fund group launches a new fund, normally there's a big song and dance about it. There's a lot of press attention on it. There's a lot of um, the fund managers trying to get out and be interviewed by people and go and speak to investors and really publicise the fund launch. Um, quite the opposite with this one. They actually launched it last month, but didn't really tell anyone. Um, and you can't even buy it at the moment anyway. So their plan is it's been seeded with money. Um, so Mike Lindsell and Nick Train, who run Lindsell Train, um, have put up some of their own money. And then the Lindsell Train Investment Trust has also put in some money to, to give it some money to start investing. Um, and then they're just going to carry on uh, running that money for five years before external investors, so the likes of you or I, um, can put our money into it. And so um, they want to get a decent track record underway. They want to prove what they can do in the market and their style of investing before they actually go out and ask people for their money to invest in it. So it's a bit of a strange one. Yeah, I mean, five years, it does seem a long time. I'm surprised that they, you know, why admit that you're doing this now um, if you're going to sort of keep it a secret a sense in a sense from we don't want your the external money for now it's just yeah it's, it's an odd move ideally they probably would have kept it a secret or kept it under wraps at least and not talked about it but because the Lindsell train investment trust um has invested some of its money into it and obviously that needs to that tells investors what it's been investing in and, and selling out of um that's where it came to light so it's put around 60 million um into the fund and so when people were digging through the kind of um documents with the investment trust that's where they spotted it so it's certainly not been actively marketed by Lindsell train and interestingly also um nick train's obviously a very well known name but he's not actually running the money it's two of their other fund managers um are running it so not um Linzel or train and part of it is to do with kind of succession planning so making sure that there are funds run by people other than themselves so that when they decide to retire and hang up their hats there's people to keep the company going yeah, so I met, we've had Nick Train on the podcast before, and um, you know, talking about how he he runs um, a process, and I, and I think I, I've I've talked to him personally on another occasion where he, he explains that the, the 
there's quite a few people now working for the company. It's not simply him and Mike Lintzel doing everything. So, um, but even the, the other the other members of the team are following the same investment process. So they're they're not trying to create something brand new here. But it's still obviously a sense of caution. Uh, the fact that they're sort of not opening the doors straight away with this US one. It's also quite interesting that they've got a global fund already and a Japanese one um, and a UK one. It's like, you know, you, you, you're questioning why they need a US one as well. And US funds are notoriously difficult for active fund managers. So when you look at the studies of the proportion of active fund managers that manage to outperform the index um, in the US, it is much smaller than some other regions, purely because a lot of those companies are very big. There's a lot of publicly available information out there about them. So it's quite a tricky market to launch an active fund into, which maybe is why they're being a bit more cautious. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting one. Yeah. So uh, another bit of news this week is inflation figures, which uh, just come out, um, actually showing a dramatic fall in the rate. I mean, do, do, do you think everyone was expecting this to happen? Was so I think everyone was expecting a fall, but I'm not sure everyone was expecting the fall to be quite as dramatic as it was. So we'd already seen a drop um, in March, his figures, and inflation went down to 1.5%. Um, and April saw, which are the figures that were released um, this week, saw a drop down to 0.8%. So that's almost halving what it was in March, which was already down itself. Um but the big driver of this, of course, is oil prices. So um, oil prices, we've talked about on the podcast before, have fallen massively. And that impacts lots of things in the inflation basket. So um, petrol and diesel prices, um, but also uh, utility prices. So, so the cost of um, of your utilities at home. And those are big contributors to the inflation basket. So whenever we see a movement in oil price either way, it has a, a kind of enlarged effect on inflation. But yeah, quite quite a dramatic fall. What about, you know, I know when we went into lockdown, people talking about um, some retailers were price gouging. And um, I certainly know when I've been, you know, able to get like a, a, a slot on one of the, the, the supermarkets online for a delivery, seems like quite a lot of the food just feels like it's a little bit more expensive than what it's paying before. I, I would have thought we would have seen some price inflation with certainly with the, on the food side. Is that is that what the figures are telling us? There doesn't seem to be that much of it. So um, that's definitely not been because when we talk about inflation, we talk about things that have a downward pressure and things that have an upward pressure. So things that are pushing prices down and that are pushing prices up. And in the kind of basket of things that were pushing prices up, food doesn't appear, alcohol does appear. Um, so there's been a, a slight increase in the cost of alcohol, predominantly because people are drinking more at home because there aren't pubs and restaurants open. And so there's been more demand for that. Um, but the other big thing that's in a surge in demand and so some increase in prices is things like toys, games, computer games, crafting kits, all of the things that parents are buying to keep their kids entertained for 10 minutes while they try and work from home. Um, so that they're the main things that have increased. And interestingly, knitting wool. There's been a big demand from knitting wool as I guess people take up more hobbies in lockdown and decide to teach themselves to knit. Um, and that caused a bit of a shortage of stock and so a bit of an increase in price. Oh, is it, so Laura, have you, been, have you taken up a new hobby in the last sort of month, couple of months? I bought, right at the start of lockdown, I bought a cross-stitch kit um, thinking that that would be a nice thing to learn and to teach myself and do something creative. 
Um, I spent one afternoon doing it, and that is the last time I touched it, about eight weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not sure it's a roaring success so far, but I'll keep plugging away at it. Yeah. I'm sure you're not alone in... um... You know, people had seem to have lots of good intentions of uh, expanding their skills. Um, you know, all this sort of extra time. But I, I guess if um, you know, people found other ways to keep themselves busy. If you, you know, if you if you're able to work from home, I'm sure workers sort of been able to sort of monopolize quite a lot of people's time at you know, and helping helping children with school and stuff as well. So yeah, so uh, we'll we'll get there. I'm sure there, there must be some people who have developed some some good skills. Maybe I'll just watch a cross-stitch documentary on Netflix, as Netflix (laughs) seems to be taking up most of my time at the moment. (laughs) So we talked about at the start about income um, and dividends. And so one of the big questions investors are asking at the moment is where to find a decent income, considering so many companies have cut their dividends. So, Dan, where should they be looking? Well, we've been looking at this in a lot of detail uh, and... It's quite hard. I mean, it's probably worth working out who who's not paying dividends and seeing what's left at the moment. So we obviously Shell has historically been one of the big dividend payers. So they, they've they've cut their payment. BT's cut. Some of the house builders have cut. Uh, the regulator sort of said banks are not allowed to pay dividends at the moment. Quite a lot. The insurers aren't paying. So if you just look at the London market. There's more than three hundred companies have cut. Forty five. FTSE 100 firms as well. They're either cut or they've sort of said, well, we won't be paying anything at the moment. We'll perhaps think about it uh, later on this year or, or it'll be a story for next year. And the most recent one we've had is Imperial Brands, the tobacco company, who've just done a, a third cut. But quite here, it, it was trading on a sort of... If you, if you looked at um, the forecast for how much dividends it's going to pay, it was trading on a, a prospective yield of 11.5%, which was extremely high. And I always think that if you if you see a yield that's 7 or 8% or, or higher, it's kind of the way the stock market's way of saying it doesn't really believe those forecasts are correct. Um, so we've got BP at the moment, it's on a prospective yield of 11%. So it, it did say fairly recently it was going to keep paying. But now that Shell's cut, I wonder whether it's management are thinking, oh, actually... We should be following the same thing. So, so that that sort of leads us to to what what is left, um, and I think it's probably uh, fair to say that consumer goods companies like Unilever, who are selling um, you know, ice cream and sort of, uh, tea bags and stuff like that, that, that you know, it's things that we need in in good economic conditions and bad economic conditions. They're they're still seeing sales going you know, ticking over, so they're still paying dividends. Um, telecoms group Vodafone is still paying um, the London Stock Exchange is still paying because it's still getting loads of money from all this, the trading activity on the market um, and the utility companies as well it's a bit, you know, again we, we need our water and gas electricity no matter what is going on in the world and I think if you look at some of the smaller firms um, certainly ones like property firms that invest in areas like supermarket warehouses um, doctors surgeries life hasn't really changed for them they're still you know their tenants are still paying the rent um, so they're still able to generate those dividends and pay cash to shareholders yeah so lots of those companies are obviously going to be doing well in lockdown but are there any less obvious ones where you might be surprised that they're maintaining their dividend or yeah i mean I, it? I, th- I think so i mean 
sort of financial trading companies don't really spring to mind when you think of income stocks. But actually, if you look at people like Plus 500 and CMC Markets, um, their, their revenue has soared through this crisis because the volatile stock markets have led to more people trying to um, bet on whether stocks going up or down. And so they, they're generating masses of uh, revenue and they, they certainly seem to be paying um, I'm going to pay dividends. And uh, on a sort of similar note, Money Supermarket, which is like the comparison website, um, you, you might think, well, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of products on there which people might not need. So I wouldn't have thought it's travel insurance uh, sales are going very well at the moment if no one's going on holiday. But you ought to think that if lots of people are worried about their jobs, they may want to sort of turn to personal loans or credit cards and, um, to help give them some sort of financial support if they're going through more difficult times. So I, I would imagine that you'll see um, quite a lot of people using the comparison sites to try and find deals there. So um, certainly We've from also what... seen quite a lot of people using the comparison sites to use some of their spare time to switch um, their household utility providers or internet providers or all of those kind of tasks where you know you're slightly overpaying but you never get around to doing it. So I think they've seen, um, I saw some figures earlier this week, but I think they've seen a big increase in people using them to switch. Yeah, no, that's that, that's an interesting point, actually. And I think um, there's some obvious, sorry, some obvious places like healthcare companies, um, they're in demand, they're paying well. Um, but actually, there's a, a less obvious one, but maybe not so if you take a sort of a step back and think what's going on in the world. But um, it's not just only about getting an income from equities. Um, people also look at the bond market for, for income. And there's quite a bit more interest recently in corporate bonds where companies are issuing debt. And there seems to be quite a lot of investor demand to to snap up these these bonds at the moment. So you could you can access the corporate bond market via investment funds and exchange traded funds, a bit like tracker products. Um, and I think just finally, the infrastructure funds as well. I mean, here it's probably worth um, being a bit picky about the type of um, infrastructure fund you want if you're looking for um, any chance of having ongoing dividends. I would suggest look at the ones that have got assets in essential services like schools, hospitals and um, things like critical gas works. But uh, there's a question mark over the ones that have got demand-led infrastructure like rail and roads and airports um, in terms of the, the sort of the medium-term picture there for the level of dividends that perhaps people have been used to. I don't know whether they might still get them at the same level in the future, but it, it, is, it is hard for investors going through this period at the moment, particularly people who rely on their um, their portfolio to, to generate a regular income. You know, you imagine people in retirement are can be totally reliant on um, investments to, to help pay the bills. I mean, it's nothing, nothing worse than having you know, less money coming into your bank account every month or, or every quarter. So um, if, this, if, this, this is your, you know, if you're a listener and this is you, you're, you're, you're reliant on investments, it is worth checking to see what you own. Um, have a look at the, the sort of the relevant websites for the companies or the funds and see what they're saying on dividends. Because the last thing you want is to find a big shock uh, and you don't realise um, because you, you, ha you haven't learnt that, that one of your investments is not paying you as much money as perhaps as you used to. And also, you know, dividends full stop are not guaranteed.
so you must always remember that even in good times companies can stop at any point and say no we're not going to pay you these things so I think people have just got so used to dividends being such a priority, particularly for some of the big companies that you talked about there, so Shell and places like that. And and the talk was always that you don't want to be the chief executive that's the one to reduce or cut the dividend. Um, so people have kind of become quite reliant on that, hadn't they? And, and because that had been the case for so long, they'd assume that that would always be the case. But obviously we're in such unprecedented times that they're there's then been this massive sea of cuts in order to preserve capital. And I think for some investors, it will have come as quite quite a shock. Yeah. So uh, another thing to bear in mind is if you're invested in a fund or, or an investment trust or, or an ETF um, and you look on, um, say, one of the financial websites or it might be your ISA providers or, or SIP providers website, um, they, they will put a figure that will give you a dividend yield. Now, you must remember this is based on what the fund has paid out in the last 12 months. Not It's not a forecast. So um, it, it's a ch high chance it could be suggesting, uh, say, the fund's at 4%, for example. Well, that's based on what it, it, when things were going well and no one had been cutting dividends. Well, I would suggest you, you should be prepared for a lot, you know, a, potentially taking that 4% down to 3% or even 2 short term. Just be a bit careful about reading into some of this data uh, and not thinking it's a, it's a guide to what you're guaranteed to get. Because you know what, when you take out a, a cash savings account, it will give you a rate and you're guaranteed um, that, certainly for, for, for you know, fixed rate term, uh, if they're very clear about it, investments don't work quite like that. So actually what, what we've done... We, is is a big topic, and and on, uh, and hang on, and fund manager um, tries to deal with the situation. We thought it'd be really interesting if we, if we talk to someone um, who's in the thick of it. So, Evenload is one of the big asset management firms in the country, and it's got a couple of very popular income funds. So we we had a chat with fund manager Ben Peters, who works on the Evenload Global Income Fund, about how he's coping with sort of rejigging his portfolio at the moment because obviously he's expected to deliver income for his investors um, but yet it, it might be that some of the underlying the companies in the underlying portfolio are not qu quite giving what he, people have thought so let's listen to that interview now and hopefully you can, you'll learn some really good stuff from Ben. So thanks a lot for joining us today Ben so during the current coronavirus crisis how has your approach to investing changed on the funds? Um, well well, our, our approach to investing is to look for cash generative companies that earn high returns on their, their invested capital uh, and, and have a good chance of doing that um, long into the future. And, and from that point of view, our, our approach to investing ha hasn't changed uh, at all. Um, the the uh, market um, disruption has provided some some opportunities, uh, but, our, but our fundamental approach hasn't changed whatsoever. And so what have you been buying and selling recently as a result of the market movements this year? Yeah, we have uh, we have made a few uh, purchases and, and some disposals as well. Um, so on the sell side, we've disposed of two companies from the even though global income portfolio. Uh, the first was a, a, a Sabre, which is a US provider of technology for the global distribution system for airline tickets, uh, which is obviously fairly fundamentally disrupted at the moment. Um, not that that's necessarily a problem, but Sabre does run um, with, with with debt on its balance sheet, and it's that combination of a disruption with with debt that caused us to um, to uh, 
view the risk risk return profile as not not uh, to our favour. So we disposed of that company, um, and also uh, we have sold a, what was a small position for the fund in Informa, which is a, a UK listed company, but it's a global market leader in trade exhibitions. Uh, so again, where people aren't going to meet face to face, that's been fundamentally disrupted. Now that's less uh, less important for Informa than it is for Sabre because Informa has two other divisions in academic publishing uh, and in business information, which which are relatively unaffected. But uh, still, we, we we viewed the on balance, so it was worth exiting that position. Yeah. What what about on the buying side of things? Yeah. So we've actually bought uh, four new positions, um, all companies which have declined in price, but we think are fundamentally uh, good companies. So um, the first sort of pair that we bought in in March were Paychex, which is a US um, outsourcing company with outsources payroll and other business services for the small and medium-sized enterprise segment. Um, uh, and uh, at a similar time, we bought Hexagon, which is a Swedish company, uh, which is a technology firm focused on geospatial and industrial, industrial automation applications. Uh, then uh, a little bit later, we initiated a position in a German company called CTS Eventim, and that's U- Europe's largest event ticketing company. Um, it's uh, obviously got some near-term uh, issues with with events not happening, but fundamentally, it's got a very good market position, uh, and and it's good for the long term. And then more recently, we've initiated a position in Siemens Healthineers, which is another German company, and that's a global market leader in uh, medical imaging equipment and diagnostic equipment. And are you much more cautious at the moment when you're when you're buying and selling these companies because the outlook for the global economies is, is so uncertain and also the information that you might have available on a company and how they're going to be affected by the current crisis is also quite uncertain? Uh, I wouldn't say we're more cautious than we we normally are, which is reasonably cautious, I think. But I think clearly this is a this coronavirus outbreak and and the lockdowns we've seen globally is pretty unprecedented. And uh, what we've had to do is reassess uh, companies' uh, outlook in the light of that. So we have reassessed, and for some companies like Sabre, we we viewed um, the the balance of risk and reward to be unfavourable enough to sell the holding. Um, but for others, you know, uh, it, we can see that should this crisis end, which which undoubtedly will, then the companies are good companies. They remain in good shape, uh, and they should uh, continue to prosper in the long term. Well, given that you're running um, an income fund, I know in in the UK, lots of our listeners should be uh, familiar with the news that quite a lot of companies have been sort of suspending or cutting back their dividends quite a lot. Is that trend being seen in other parts of the world? So obviously, it affects you because you're a global fund. Yes, well, I mean, this this um, situation is, is undoubtedly a global situation, and therefore it is affecting companies around the world, and, and that's been reflected uh, in dividends as well. So in continental Europe, um, you've got companies like uh, AB InBev, the brewer and publicist, the advertising agency have, have uh, halved their dividends. Uh, and uh, all past their dividends, uh, and you know, even in America, um, the, the likes of the, the mighty Disney uh, have have passed their um, uh, their interim dividends. So it is, is certainly a global phenomenon. And so, is there a concern that as an income-focused fund, you end up just becoming um, much more concentrated in the smaller number of companies that are still maintaining their dividend, or maybe even increasing their dividend at this time? Is that a risk that you guys have to balance at the moment? 
Um, well, certainly the you know with companies um, cutting and uh, postponing or cancelling their dividends, and the pool has has shrunk slightly. But there is still a, there are still a large number of companies which will continue to pay their their dividends uh, and and grow them even through through this crisis. And and very importantly, in in the medium to long term, which is an equity investor, you should always be focused on, to, in my view. So, you know, we have seen dividend um, uh, cuts and, and postponements in the portfolio, but um, and we see the port, there are 40 companies in the even though global income portfolio, eight have had some action on their dividend. Uh, they make up about 11% of the portfolio, but there's a, there's, you know, a good core of the portfolio, and, and this is available to uh, all investors uh, across some, some industries which are relatively unaffected, more kind of business as usual, there is no usual at the moment, of course, but relatively uh, more usual. So consumer goods companies, uh, companies in the technology sector and healthcare sector and some media companies are, are, are relatively unaffected. So it is possible to, to find a good core of income from, a, from sort of a diversified income base, which, uh, which investors can uh, still enjoy. But is that tougher in the UK focused funds where we're obviously the UK is in much larger dividend cuts or, or kind of much wider spread? So are you finding it the concentration of income payers there is, is much higher? Uh, yes. And I think in, in the UK, there's there's two sort of factors at play. One is historically there's been more of a culture towards dividends and you have you have higher payout ratios in the UK. Um, and also the UK market is uh, is more weighted towards some of the sectors that have been hardest hit by the by the current situation. So uh, companies like oil majors uh, and banks, for example, make up quite a big part of the UK index. But nonetheless, um, you can still find uh, companies away from those sectors uh, that the, the even load investment approach tends to tends to look for in any case where where you can get a, a good steady income even through the crisis, but particularly importantly uh, in the medium term. But do you think, obviously, with the UK um, has this sort of history of being a bit more generous with dividends than other countries, do you think that, that will effectively mean if, if companies do rebase their future dividends, uh, this is UK companies, they're going to do so by a much greater percentage than, than say, a US stock? Yes, I think sort of mechanistically, if you've had a higher payout ratio historically and, 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 and one's business has been affected by the situation, then you're going to have a bigger dividend cut. Uh, but something we have been seeing uh, in the UK and, and in Europe more broadly uh, is had been in the past few years an increased use of share buybacks as a means of giving uh, capital back to shareholders. Uh, and they tend to be used more flexibly and, and, and indeed have been. So you can see in, in the UK with a, a company like Relex, uh, which is an Anglo-Dutch company, as uh, a media company, uh, they, they have um, uh, postponed their buyback program temporarily, uh, but they're continuing to pay a dividend. So they can be used a bit more flexibly. Um, uh, that's historically been more prevalent um, across the pond in the US, but, it's, uh, but we've seen it over here as well more recently. And you talked earlier about the need for kind of that medium to long term view when you're equity investing. But what other advice would you have for income investors at the moment, particularly those that are perhaps in retirement and are reliant on that income that was being paid out from their investments um, to kind of fund their lifestyles? What advice would you have for them at the moment, seeing as so many dividends have been cut? Yeah, well, I mean, nobody wants to see their their, their income uh, reduced, of course. Um, but what I would say is, uh, well, as, as I've said, there is a there is a good core of companies where you can find reliable dividend streams, uh, and um, you know that that should be a core of, of the portfolio. Um, also, as a as an equity investor, um, we should be looking at companies taking actions that are going to 
preserve capital as well and uh, mean that they can go on and thrive as we come out of this crisis. So where a company has cut its dividend, providing it, it's uh, going to remain a good company and it's going to be investing in its operations and going to come out of this crisis get potentially even stronger if it's, if it's got through and some of its competitors haven't, uh, then, then patience is required. But that should lead to good uh, income growth in the future, uh, but also good total returns as well. And there's a distinct possibility that given uh, some of the, the price falls, then we can have good total returns. So if you're reliant on your income, then be patient. Um, uh, but it's also possible if you do need some extra income to to use the total return to sell some units should should you need to. Do you, do you think that some of these big companies are just thinking about how, how we're going to survive at the moment? You know, see, they've made this decision to um, preserve some of their spare cash. But actually, I wonder if there's a point where when you think they're actually going to start thinking about growth again, or is that a long way off? Do you think? Well, I think that the best companies will be thinking about growth through thick and thin and will prepare themselves for when the, the, the tougher times come along. So I think that whilst there are uh, most companies, I would say, are having to deal with the coronavirus outbreak and the lockdowns and uh, and the, the impact on their business, you know, that's very much a focus for the near time. They won't have forgotten about the, the longer term. And, and what, what that means is, you know, delivering uh, value to their customers, whether it is a, a consumer good or whether it's a technology company. You know, what what am I doing for my customers? Am I helping them to live their their lives? That might have changed slightly. You know, um, and you've seen uh, companies like Reckitt Benckiser, uh, who's uh, you know makes Dettol and things, which is obviously um, being used uh, in the current situation. But they've had to sort of uh, streamline their operations in order to deliver the value to their customer now. But they haven't forgotten about the the long term competitive position and and what they're going to do for their customers over the medium to long term. So I, do, I think that the best companies um, are still thinking about that and will continue to think about it. Another example is the German company Fuchs Petrolum, uh, which we hold in the Evenlo Global Income Portfolio. They've got a long-term capital expenditure program, which they're coming uh, to the end of. They're not going to stop that just because there's some sort of short-term demand disruption. You know that They're really thinking about investing in the long-term capacity of their business to deliver for their clients. Um, markets have obviously rebounded a fair bit from their falls in February and March. But do you think that we're we're over the worst, or do you think that there's a risk that there are kind of further falls to come, and this is a bit of a false bounce? Well, our focus is really on identifying those good companies which are uh, which are going to be able to uh, pay dividends over the medium to long term for uh, for our investors, uh, and we want to invest them at a time when the valuations make sense. And actually, the the, uh, the valuations that are on offer and, and the valuation of the even though global income portfolio we think is very attractive at, at, at the current time. Um, so that's our focus. Um, I'm afraid I don't have any particular insight as to how this pan- pandemic is going to pan out, and I'm not sure anyone quite knows, um, which will probably drive equity market action in the near term. Um, so I'm afraid I can't give you an answer on, on what might happen from here sort of this year. But what I do know is that, that, that it's possible to invest in a portfolio of good companies which are trading at sensible prices in the market. And, and again, as a, as a long-term investor, that, that should be uh, sufficient to invest now. We'll possibly get some opportunities if there's more market disruption as a result of the current situation. But we, we will have to wait and see on that. And so, Ben, do, do you have... Um cash to hand if you, if there was another sort of market wobble uh, have you got something up your sleeve that you can take advantage of opportunities or, or have you kind of spent all the or your kitty on the in the last sort of month or so 
Well, um, uh, we very much view our job as being equity investors. So we're, we are uh, pretty much fully invested at all times. Uh, but what we can do, obviously, is is um, use uh, the proceeds from companies that have perhaps done relatively well in the portfolio and, and, move, and evolve the portfolio to take advantage of uh, of market moves through time. So that's certainly that's what we've we've, we've applied well with the even loading investment process for over a decade now, and that that's our, our usual modus operandi. So we're, we don't view ourselves as asset allocators. You know, we we are equity investors, and that's what we do. But we do evolve portfolios to take advantage of of market uh, valuations through time. Thanks a lot for joining us, then Ben. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you. Thanks. So thank you ever so much for listening this week. So we've got quite a few really interesting guests lined up for the coming weeks. So make sure you tune back in on a regular basis. But um, if you do have any suggestions for particular people you'd like us to talk to, then drop us a line at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.